Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a very special crossover episode of The Sheridan Tapes. A few months ago, Virginia and I were approached by Pacific S. Obadiah, showrunner of the horror anthology podcast The SCP Archives, to write an SCP for several of our monsters to feature on the show. If you're unfamiliar with the podcast, or SCP in general, the SCP Foundation is a collaborative writing project featuring hundreds of unique items, objects, locations, and beings with paranormal or anomalous properties, along with a secretive organization that secures, contains, and protects these objects with in-depth containment procedures. And while the SCP Foundation does not exist within the Sheridan Tapes universe, not every creature in our story has stayed in that universe, and the walls between the worlds have begun to grow rather thin. Before we get started, this episode contains mentions of body horror and transformation, gun violence, blood, and heavy themes of imprisonment. Content warnings and a full transcript are available in the show notes. Warning. The Foundation database is classified. Unauthorized access will result in detainment. Within this archive, you'll find the procedures, descriptions, and accounts of the most notorious anomalies we've encountered to date. Secure. Contain. Protect. Item number. SCP-H-14. Object class. Euclid. Special containment procedures. Both components of SCP-H-14 must be kept within the same steel-reinforced concrete cell in Site-19. Built to Level 4 Biohazard Containment Protocols, and surrounded by a Faraday mesh with holes no larger than 3mm each. This Faraday mesh must be checked and replaced regularly for both normal wear and tear, along with damage from the occasional physical outbursts from SCP-H-14A. The containment cell must be divided into two distinct sections, with the first large enough to allow free movement of SCP-H-14A, and the second held behind an airtight layer of double-glazed quarter-inch plexiglass. Special attention must be paid in ensuring the plexiglass is regularly cleaned and replaced to allow clear visibility from one section of the enclosure to the other, as a loss of visual contact with H-14A will cause H-14B to become active, growing rapidly and attempting to breach containment. While SCP-H-14A clearly possesses the strength to damage or destroy the plexiglass barrier at will, it has thus far displayed no desire to even touch the barrier and the risk of direct contact with SCP-H-14B seems sufficient to limit its escape attempts. Operatives interacting with SCP-H-14A must maintain at least one layer of Faraday mesh between themselves and H-14A at all times, and never directly engage with H-14A when its body is in its semi-solid form during nighttime hours. Operatives interacting with SCP-H-14B for academic or procedural purposes are required to wear level 4 positive pressure biohazard suits at all times, and must be decontaminated prior to egress. Under no circumstances should samples of SCP-H-14B be directly exposed to open air or any other medium by which they might escape containment. Transportation of SCP-H-14 is only possible during daylight hours, 
when the body of H-14A takes on a dispersed gaseous state, and its mask may be easily transported in any Faraday mesh line container large enough to hold both it and SCP-H-14B. Samples of H-14B must be stored in transparent sealed containers with gaps no larger than 2 nanometers during transport. A small LED light with sufficient battery power for at least double the planned duration of transport must be kept within the container and switched on at all times. Or H-14B will attempt to breach containment through violent growth. Exposure to strong sources of UV light are sufficient to slow or halt its growth, though it is unclear whether this is due to an inherent susceptibility of the fungi to these wavelengths or simply the fact that the light renders H-14A more clearly visible. SCP-H-14A must never be in transit after local sunset, as its body will reform into its semi-solid state at nightfall in whatever location its mask is present. Simulated sunlight or sufficient brightness is sometimes capable of delaying or even preventing this reconstitution, but this method is proven unreliable in containing H-14A. Temporary Containment Procedures Update Following Containment Breach Beta the O5 Council's recommended SCP-H-14B be upgraded to Containment Class Keter. Decision pending Dr. Andrea Shipton's recovery and return to regular work. Description An extra-dimensional incursion into regular space-time occurred in on manifestation in at least two distinct objects, possibly more, bearing specific radiocarbon markers previously unknown to science. Both objects seem to be linked in some manner that is currently unclear, though a psychic or possibly hypnotic connection has been suggested by Professor. See Special Containment Procedures above. SCP-H-14A is a roughly humanoid figure approximately 2.5 meters in height, though precise measurements fluctuate along with the density and precise shape of its torso and limbs. H-14A's physical form seems to be composed of some form of a dark gas, vapor, or smoke. Though attempts to collect samples to take spectrographic measurements of this substance have all failed. The only portion of H-14A that remains solid under all circumstances is what appears to be a small white mask, made of some kind of smooth, pale wood with minimal grain, largely blank, except for a bas-relief carving of two humanoid hands covering the area where the eyes should be. There are also several small characters or pictograms of unknown origin and meaning carved into the wood at irregular intervals. Several rubbings of the mask have been sent to doctors and at the University of but no clear language of origin could be determined. Doctor proposed that they might be unique symbols without a linguistic base or significance. Though doctor refuted this with references to clear stylistic links between elements that seem to link certain characters. Research is currently ongoing. SCP-H-14A's mask is approximately the size and shape of a human face and all imaging and sampling efforts reveal nothing extraordinary about its construction or material, though the precise species of wood used cannot be determined. SCP-H-14A's body also appears to be relatively consistent with human anatomy when in its solid form, as semi-permanent bones, organs, and blood have been observed during various tests of its regenerative abilities. Most notably, H-14A seems to have expired multiple times during some of the more rigorous tests, only to disperse to gas before reforming the following nightfall. Based on this, it's believed that the temporary physical form it assumes are roughly the same durability as an average human, though attempts to verify this have been met with obvious difficulty. H-14A retains a sullen and often antagonistic relationship with Foundation personnel, though it has not yet physically attacked any member of MTF Beta-7 
or any D-Class personnel introduced to its enclosure. See Addendum H-14.2 for details. SCP-H-14 B is a colony of unknown fruiting fungal growth discovered in the proximity of H-14A during its initial incursion, consisting of several bioluminescent mushroom caps and a deep network of mycelia removed from by MTF Beta-7 during containment. Caps are approximately 8 centimeters in diameter with malted green and pale blue coloration, which glow a more vibrant blue in the absence of light. Caps reach full development from nodules of approximately 0.5 centimeters over a period of approximately one week, though these growths have been extremely accelerated for brief periods, with new caps being observed to reach full development within a matter of seconds at a maximum. It is unclear how the colony avoids collapse after such an expenditure of energy and nutrients, as the fungus seems capable of sprouting from soil regardless of nutritional content or quality. Regardless, these periods of extended growth occur whenever SCP-H-14B loses direct visual contact with H-14A, though there's no indication of any kind of visual sense organs present within the fungus. This growth is incredibly forceful, and H-14B has shown itself capable of shattering plastic, glass, and steel containers, as well as the ability to grow its mycelia through solid concrete, stone, and brickwork over extended periods of time. Caps possess prominent gills capable of releasing large numbers of spores at any given time, similarly regardless of environmental conditions or lack of nutrients to produce them. These spores have been observed taking root and growing rapidly through concrete, asphalt, slate, tile, and various other solid materials, though careful study reveals no major structural difference between these spores and the spores of more common fungi. Doctor of the Zoological Department of proposed these spores may be capable of a basic form of quantum tunneling when taking root in such materials, but has presented no direct evidence of this phenomenon. Additionally, These spores are believed to be capable of infecting human hosts and creating instances of SCP-H-14-2, though this phenomenon has not directly been observed by Foundation personnel and only one confirmed instance has been encountered, though it was neutralized during initial containment to avoid further infestation of the local population. Instances of SCP-H-14-2 have also failed to reoccur in a laboratory setting, despite several tests with D-Class personnel. Dr. Has theorized this may be an indication that SCP-H-14B possesses a degree of rudimentary consciousness or intelligence and is aware of the Foundation's tests, though this has not yet been confirmed. Then H-14.1 Discovery SCP-H-14 was discovered during a routine investigation into a reported disturbance in at approximately 2144 local time. Animal control officers were dispatched to the rear parking lot of the Commerce Center and Shopping Mall, where neighbors had reported the sounds of what seemed to be a large animal near the dumpsters. Upon arrival, officers approached the darkened area of the parking lot, but quickly retreated when the sounds increased in intensity and could not be reasonably linked to any known fauna of the region. Reporting their findings by radio, officers were told to leave the area immediately while the dispatcher contacted members of MTF Beta 7 with details of the encounter. MTF personnel arrived at the scene at approximately 2310 local time where they noted rapidly growing cumulonimbus cloud formations above the shopping center and the distant feeling of electrostatic buildup in the air. After ensuring that the surrounding area was clear of civilians, MTF operatives moved to investigate the continued noises. After approximately 10 minutes, they discovered SCP-H-14A standing over one of the commercial dumpsters used by the outlet store, with two apparent limbs removing and examining pieces of garbage, in particular any unshredded written documents with what seemed to be apparent distress. 
MTFB 7-113 issued a verbal command for H-14A to cease its activity immediately and turn around, at which point H-14A became hostile, making an animalistic growl before leaping at B-7-113. At the same moment, the cumulonimbus clouds overhead became active, with a single lightning strike occurring approximately 50 meters south of SCP H-14A's location. MTFB 7-099 and 732 both opened fire with a semi-automatic burst of hollow .5.56 NATO rounds, stopping H-14A and throwing it to the ground violently. A large pool of dark red blood-like substance began leaking from H-14A's body, and the lack of any discernible movement or life signs led MTF personnel to determine H-14A had been terminated. However, after approximately six minutes, the body dissolved into an odorless gas-like vapor that dispersed before samples could be taken, leaving only the mask behind. This was collected by MTF personnel for transport to Site-19, with electrostatic activity above the shopping center ceasing as soon as it was placed in a Faraday mesh line container for transport. While this was occurring, MTF B-7-808 lost contact with their commander while investigating strange light patterns reported from further behind the buildings. They emerged around the corner after several minutes with what appeared to be bioluminescent fungal gills sprouting from the sides of their neck. B-7-808 now believed to be the sole confirmed instance of SCP H-14-2 was ordered to halt as they were moving with determined speed towards the container now holding H-14A's mask. A single 5.56 NATO round of the leg immobilized B-7-808 and knocked them to the ground. However, the fungal blooms on their neck immediately released spores which began a period of rapid growth across the asphalt surface of the parking lot in the direction of the locked container. In an attempt to avoid the fungus, Dr bumped the container off the MTF transport where it was resting, at which point the lid opened and revealed H-14A's mask to the light. At this moment, the rapid growth of H-14B stopped and the fungus reverted to a more normal state of equilibrium. MTF biohazard personnel collected all samples of H-14B within the immediate area, with mushrooms taken from near the location of H-14A's discovery seeming to be the most developed. Samples were sealed in accordance with level 4 biohazard containment procedures and transported to Site-19 being kept with the same visual range of H-14A at all times. SCP H-14A's mask remained inert upon arrival and initial containment at Site-19, though its body reformed at approximately 1833 local time the following day, concurrent with a local nightfall. Addendum H-14.2 Initial Observations SCP H-14A The following interview is conducted by Dr. Andreas Shipton upon H-14A's first reconstitution. There now. That seems to be all of you back in one place. How are we feeling? Please do not attempt to damage the enclosure. Based on the damage done to your physical form last night, I'm guessing you'll just injure yourself. My name is Dr. Andrea Shipton. I work with the SCP Foundation. How much of what I'm saying can you understand? Are you capable of... I can understand you. Good. That makes this much simpler. Do you understand your current situation? 
you are in the custody of the SCP Foundation. You and H-14B. Why is that here? Please remain calm, H-14A. Those samples react negatively when they're not in your presence. So the administrator believed it best to contain you together until- Remove it. Remove it now. You have no idea the danger you're in keeping it here. You are in no position to dictate the terms of your confinement, H-14A. We have MTF personnel on site, prepared to shoot you dead if you become aggressive again. I will not speak to you while the creeping death is within this room. If you insist. We're in no rush. Where are you going? Are you leaving me here? We're done here. Wait, wait. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Follow-up interview, Dr. Andrea Shipton. Now then. Are we ready to discuss these matters like adults? Do not mock me, Miller. I would kill you faster than breath if I were free of this cage for but a moment. But you're not. And you won't be. For a very long time, unless you give the Foundation some reason to believe you might be useful. Now, are you willing to talk to me? Yes, I will speak with you. Good. Samples taken from both your mask and the fungal caps of SCP-H14B contained radiocarbon markers we were unable to identify. Based on your sudden appearance and lack of similarities to any other SCPs in Foundation custody, I'm guessing you're not from around here, are you? We fell through the dark and into the void between. We fell into the waters that are below and between and within all worlds that are or were or ever can be. We pass. It should have been the end for us. I wished it 
Enough, H14A. I think I understand. You and H14B pass through some kind of interdimensional medium from another universe to arrive here. Is that correct? It is not incorrect. Then what am I missing? Is there more to your arrival here? Really? This again? I already told you, H14A. We're in no rush. Should I just let you simmer here for another two months until you're ready to talk? Let Dr. O'Connor try another dozen ways to kill you? I will not speak his name. Not in this universe or any other. Fine. We'll just have to try again in March. Follow-up interview. Doctoral candidate Catherine Sheridan, University of... SCP-H-14A? Can you hear me? Your face. I know your face. Uh, I don't believe so. This is my first visit to Site-19. Do you have a sister? A sister with those same eyes, but keener, sharper. I... I don't have a sister at all, H-14A. Did you know someone who looked like me in the universe you came from? Like you, but very much not. I am sorry you could not have known her. I'm sorry I couldn't either. She tried to set me free. Give me a way out. Break the cycle. She couldn't have known what was coming. Though perhaps she knew who was coming. Right. Dr. Shipton said you mentioned some individual you were afraid of. Someone you believe is responsible for your arrival here? The World Breaker. 
SCP-H14A, if you believe this individual is a threat to all universes, then surely we have a better chance of stopping them if you tell Can us more you about- truly be so ignorant as to believe knowledge is any vulgar against the dark? Against the things that scratch and howl at the doors of your reality, desperate to be let through? Only your ignorance keeps them from finding the way. And I will not take that gift from you. If you continue your aggressive behavior, I will be required to terminate this interview. Then I suggest you do so before you are now far hunter of blood can pursue its prey. Addendum H-14.3 Containment Breach Alpha SCP-H-14A CCTV footage from the biohazard wing of Site-19 at 02.35 hours. At approximately 02.36, the guard on duty seemed to respond to a sudden change in SCP-H-14A's containment cell. In a follow-up interview, states that he believes SCP-H-14A intentionally tricked him into entering the cell in violation of containment procedures. While the EMF disruption surrounding H-14 makes direct CCTV observation of the cell impossible, reported seeing H-14A's mask lying face up on the floor despite the fact that its body should have remained in solid form for at least another four hours. Believing that the creature had somehow escaped or been harmed, he entered the cell despite repeated warnings not to engage. Despite previous statements from H-14A that it could not control the exact shape or composition of its body during the hours between sunset and sunrise, it was able to dissolve its physical form into gas and separate from the mask during nightfall, pushing to the edge of the containment cell before reforming at the moment reached containment. Once SCP-H-14A cleared the Faraday mesh surrounding the cell, it caused widespread electronic disturbance across Site-19, disrupting communications and preventing coordination of security personnel. Additionally, those who encountered H-14A during its escape attempt stated that their inability to terminate it was due to both its speed and general sense of the anxiety and acute dread which increased with proximity to the creature. In the ensuing chaos, it's believed that H-14A confronted Dr. Shipton in their own quarters, though this cannot be confirmed until she recovered from the comatose state she was discovered in. H-14A escaped through one of the service entrances to Site-19 and has not been seen since. This containment breach makes it clear that H-14A can indeed enter their gaseous state at will and exercises a higher degree of control over its physical form than previously believed. Pursuit of SCP-H-14A is currently underway, with MTF Beta-7 personnel searching the surrounding area during the hours of morning and dusk. Addendum H-14.4 Containment Breach Beta SCP-H-14B Personal Journal Entries from Agent 
one of three level one personnel with direct responsibilities for the special containment instead of USCP H 14B, and 1,500 hours on it. Following the end of an intensive period of interaction and study, Agent exited the containment cell, seeming to comply with all decontamination protocols based on lab reports and available CCTV footage. They exited Site 19 by their usual route, seemingly to return to their apartment and but did not return to work the following Monday. An ADP was filed with the police department within 24 hours, and MTF Beta 7 personnel were given special permission to enter the abandoned apartment due to the potential risk of contamination. However, no traces of SCP-H-14B were found, and the only aberration of note was a number of personal journal entries apparently written by Agent before their disappearance. These entries were found handwritten in a small black leather-bound journal of unremarkable manufacture. An uncapped ballpoint pen was laid neatly between the final pages when MTF Beta 7 arrived at the residence, holding it open. Entry 76. Still no word from Todd. The therapist says I should be patient, let him sort himself out, not involve myself in whatever processing he's doing right now. Says I need to avoid my codependent patterns and work on my self-soothing exercises to increase trust in our relationship if this has a chance of working. Okay, fine. If this has a chance of working is not what my therapist said. That's a personal addition. Doctor is much more professional than that. Regular day at work. Uh, not much to note. Uh, same weird shit as always. H-14A and B, still a mystery. The way they were found, no idea where they came from. 14B is of particular interest, though not sure if it actually belongs at Site 19. By all accounts, it's just an unknown species of fungus that hitchhiked to our universe with 14A. Still, suppose we can't be too careful. I think I'll do bolognese for dinner. Don't know why I bothered writing that. Suppose this is part of building my self-trust, creating space for my thoughts, and trying my best not to judge every single one. I just wish Todd would call me back. I don't want to be left alone with my thoughts all weekend. Entry 77 I didn't call anyone or tell anyone about this, so this seems like the next best thing. I think I've made a very fucking big mistake. I was cooking dinner when I noticed it. Something that caught the light, or something that glowed on the very edge of my sock, nearly touching my skin. I didn't panic at first. I tried to brush it off. As I did, I realized that it was a branching arrangement of small SCP-H14B caps, approximately five centimeters across. I must have torn the edge of my shoe cover again before I had left containment. Spores hung on the whole way home. It was too late by the time I realized. I sealed my sock in a Ziploc bag and dumped it in the trash, but I touched it with my bare skin when I tried to brush it off the first time. Scrubbed at the area with a rough sponge until I bled, but the mild bioluminescence of the spores seemed like it had already sunk into a layer just beneath my skin. Dr. Shipton founds out about this. I'm screwed. I sealed the edges of my windows and doors with duct tape stuffed the vents with towels and sealed with even more duct tape. Lord, every blind. I don't know what will happen at this point. I've read the reports of the Maz Hatter who was exposed, but I don't know if he just touched the mushrooms or breathed in the spores themselves. 
I guess I'm the test subject now. Entry 78. Something I'll never understand is why Todd insists on all this alone time when I know for a fact that he enjoys being with me. More than anyone, if what he says is to be believed. We don't even need to talk. Plenty of times we've just sat on the couch together, him reading, me trying to figure out a Sudoku puzzle. It's totally unfair to say I'm obsessive. Obsessive, isn't it? I just like spending time with him, being in the same room with him, feeling like we're coexisting, communicating without needing to communicate. Isn't that the dream for a couple? It's morning now. Fifteen hours since the incident. I stayed inside, of course. Slept a little. I figured documenting my thoughts couldn't hurt. The area where the spores seemed to sink into my skin looks smoothed over and normal now. I haven't noticed any other symptoms. If it stays like this until tonight, I think I should be fine. Just another overreaction. Another funny story. <laughs> Though maybe not until after I've left the Foundation. Maybe when Todd and I move out of the city? We need to talk that over again. If we're gonna reconnect with nature like that, it would probably help to reconnect with each other first. Entry 79 I keep thinking it would make sense to date and timestamp these entries given what I'm documenting, but... I'm afraid of re-triggering my perfectionism. Something about a date at the top makes it feel like an obligation, like I have to write entries at the exact same time one day after another for the whole year. Just numbering them makes it easier for me to return here. I mean, 79 entries, that's not nothing. It's certainly more consistent than any other journal I've kept. It's been about 20 hours since I noticed the contamination. Not the weirdest way I've started the weekend, but close. I am feeling slightly woozy, but that could be hunger. I forgot to eat until later this morning, and when I tried to eat, it just felt... wrong. Maybe the sausage is starting to turn, or the bread is getting stale. Hydration has remained normal. I'm not finding myself craving anything in particular... I'll note in future entries if that changes. Entry 80 28 hours since contamination. It's Saturday night. Late on a Saturday night. Huh. That's the closest I've come to dating any entry. Just a day acknowledgement. That feels fine. I'll make a note of it for Dr haven't heard from Todd. I'm weirdly calm about the whole thing. Like, maybe I can really trust that he'll get back to me when he's ready to talk. I know our love is real. When I really think about it, really feel it, I know I have nothing to worry about. I wish I could go outside. I tried eating again, but it all felt off. If there's an Oddly sweet smell coming from my trash can. Couldn't figure out what it was. I wish I could. I don't remember throwing away anything that smelled quite like that. Of 
course, taking the trash out, we'll have to wait until this all blows over. I just wish I could be outside. You know how people say that standing with your bare feet on the earth is good for anxiety? That's starting to sound like a great idea. I suppose I do have one thing to note in terms of new symptoms. It's probably nothing. It does sort of look like a scratch on the side of my neck. But I don't know what could have given me five neat, straight scratches all next to each other. Both sides, too. Nothing other than a bit of raised skin. Maybe I scratched it while I was asleep. Probably nothing. Unlabeled entry. Sunday morning. 35 hours since contamination. I feel better than I have in a long time. This weekend was exactly what I needed. I think Dr. was right about a lot of things. I worry too much about when people are going to leave me. Todd, especially. But I think she was wrong about some things, too. Like that we're separate people from each other? I mean, we're not, are we? No one is. We're all hopelessly connected to one another. To this planet. To the Earth itself. No one can live without the presence of another being. It just isn't possible. Think about the creation of the universe. One impossibly small speck of energy expanded into untold trillions upon trillions upon trillions of particles, but every single thing came from that one place. At our deepest levels, every molecule of my body remembers every molecule of yours. You. You. I don't quite know who I'm talking to. Must be to someone. It feels important. Physical symptoms. Hunger has abated somewhat. I dug out the bread I'd thrown in the trash yesterday and was surprised to find it better than I remembered. The scratches on my neck have changed significantly. My skin is sort of raised up where they were. Soft little flaps, uh, almost like gills, I suppose. They don't seem to be hurting me. I feel no fear about the possibility, even if they did. As I sit here writing, the sun continues to rise. I find myself growing a bit tired. I suppose I didn't sleep much last night. I was too wrapped up in my own thoughts. I was left with a feeling of intoxication, of reassurance. Nothing that is meant for me will miss me, will it? I have everything that I truly need. I can trust the flow of things. Text alert from the Foundation. SCPH-14A escaped last night, fooled some guard into opening its containment cell. Amateur work. I bet it was... A key 
keep thinking about that creature out there in the world. It came from somewhere else, but that somewhere seems strangely familiar. And my thoughts seem to be saying, it knows something. Something I need. What does that mean? What? Why does it feel like my thoughts are telling me something? They're, they're my thoughts, aren't they? Anyway, I find myself quite jealous of that creature. Able to wander the earth, unrestrained. I can't stop thinking about its power. About what it might be doing out there. Final entry, unlabeled. Hello. I know you are unused to receiving messages like this. Don't be afraid. You will find, as you listen, that this method is quite natural to you. In the quiet moments of your life, in your small bids for reassurance, in the moments when you've shifted your perspective to remember the whole, you've longed for this intimate connectedness. And now, you have received it. You are new. You are a new creation. You are carrying on the work that has been done for eons. You have allowed us in, and you have transcended. The sting of death, of separation, has no power over you any longer. Not between you and those who hear my words. But who will hear without the message being sent out into the worlds? Who can know if they are not told? That creature out there, the one who's wandering, isolated in an unfamiliar, hostile world, we can use them. We can save them. If you are afraid, think of the earth beneath your feet. Think of the ground opening up to accept you. Think of the unseen paths in the earth, the branching mycelia of the forest that awaits you like a long-lost family. Think of the many millions of lonely souls out there who long for such embrace. You are my new acolyte. I am the mind of God. I am the father of the earth. I am the father of God. I am the prophet of the earth. The everlasting roots of heaven welcome you, my child. Thank you. Your foundation has allowed my function to continue in this world, and perhaps in many others given time. You will be justly rewarded for your efforts in the age to come, when you all know the touch of my gracious hand. The front door of the apartment was found unlocked and partially opened by MTF Beta 7. There were no other indications of the whereabouts of Agent. Let's assume that they were also at large, potentially in pursuit of SCP-H-14A. It is now believed that Agent 
represents a second instance of SCP H 14 2 and should be contained for further study when possible. Containment procedures are currently under review by Foundation personnel, though great precautions should be taken to avoid spore infection during initial containment. Addendum H 14.5 Containment Breach Charlie, Instant 00, SCP H 14 2. CCTV footage taken opposite agent. Former apartment between 0958 and 0959. A small side entrance to the apartment complex is pushed open from the inside. Instant 00 can be seen standing motionless in the doorway, staring out. They seem to be barefoot, though the low resolution of the footage makes that difficult to confirm. After a few seconds of apparent consideration, they calmly walk into the alley beyond. Just before Instant 00 leaves the frame, they turn, staring back in the direction of the CCTV camera. It's unclear if they're aware of its presence, but they seem to be looking directly at it. After a few seconds, they continue walking and disappear from view around the corner of the next building a few moments later. However, the video seems to be potentially corrupted, as their back foot seems to crumple in on itself before disappearing entirely into the earth. CCTV footage has been collected from all available sources within a square mile of the apartment block, but no other cameras recorded instant 00 leaving that alley or traveling through the city. Current location or status is unknown at this time. The Sheridan Tapes, SCP-H14, Incursion. Starring John Grills as the narrator, Kale Brown as Dr. Shipton, Alejandro Cejudo as SCP-H14-A, Virginia Spots as Catherine Sheridan, and Van Winkle as Agent... With music by Tom Rory Parsons. Written by Van Winkle and Virginia, and produced by Tom Owen and Brad Miska. With sound design by Pacific S. Obadiah. The SCP Archive showrunner is Pacific S. Obadiah, and the show is presented by Bloody FM. Visit thesheridantapes.com to view additional content, rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice, and connect with us on Twitter at Sheridan Tapes and on Instagram at The Sheridan Tapes. I'm Van Winkle. And I'm Virginia. This is Homestead on the Corner. And you're listening to The Sheridan Tapes.
Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.